morning. I'd like to invite you to go ahead and take out your Bibles and open up to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah. We are going to be reading from a very short passage in Jeremiah. And in those few short words that we are going to read, there's going to be an immense truth that, that we will see proclaimed in them. So if you will, go ahead and open up to the book of Jeremiah. And as you do that, uh, Jeremiah 23. I want to take a moment to say thank you. Uh, very much so encouraged by your presence here this morning. And very much so encouraged by the words that have been said this morning, by the prayer that Brother Charles led us in and the songs that Richard has led us in to focus our mind and to worship and praise our Lord. And I want to say that I am pumped up. Physically, I'm drained. I am wore out. I got a little bit bigger bottle of water here today because my, my throat is feeling the effects of a little bit of lack of sleep and a lot of work, but spiritually, I am just thrilled to be here. Our, our gospel meeting was a huge success, and, and I was greatly edified by it, and one thing that I've taken away from this, from the, the messages that were heard, and if you didn't have an opportunity to be there, there's something that couldn't be captured in audio. Uh, that, that went on there, the encouragement that we felt. But the lessons, nonetheless, are on our website, and, and they're available to be listened to, and I know they'll be greatly beneficial to you. But there was a challenge that was presented to every one of us each and every night. There was a truth that was spoken, and there was a, a knowledge that there is a lot of people in this world that don't have that truth. And as was read every single night, we are to be evangelists. We are to go into the world. We are to spread that truth to the world. And there was not much more that could have been done to get me excited to do that than what was done those three days. So I'm so thankful for those of you that could make it. I'm so thankful to the men that were able to make it to, uh, to preach at, at this gospel meeting. And, and I just wanted to say that I, am, I hope that you are as excited and pumped up and, and ready to get to work as I am. This morning... <clears throat> This morning we are continuing on in, in this look that we have been doing over the past several weeks uh, of Jesus. We have been studying Jesus and, and how he is the way to various things in our life. We have seen how he is the way to, to many blessings. Uh, number one, he was the way to an abundant life, a life full uh, of, of blessings. He was the way, more recently than we studied, he was the way out of the bondage of sin. He, he kind of lights the path that leads not only out of the bondage of sin, but continues us moving away from sin. And as I said earlier, all these lessons, if you've not had the opportunity to hear them, they are recorded on our website. And I encourage you to go back and to study those uh, uh, more closely. But the main fact from every one of these lessons has been Jesus is crucial. He is a crucial part of, of, of this way, of this path that we are called to walk on. But today... I want to take just a, a slight shift in gears. I want to focus our attention a little more on another member of the Godhead. Today, we will be focusing our attention on, on Jesus still, but Jesus as the way to God. <clears throat> Today, uh, it is very evident in our society that there is a huge focus on Jesus and the relationship that one should have with Him. And I don't want to take away from that at all. I don't want to take away from the emphasis that there is a relationship we should have with Jesus, but so little is ever said about the relationship we should have with God, God the Father, Jehovah. We don't speak a lot 
on the relationship that we should have with Him. But the fact is, there has always been a relationship between God. There was a relationship between God and Adam in the Garden of Eden. There was a relationship between God and Noah before and after the flood. There was a relationship between God and Abraham. We can look back through history and we can see that there always existed this relationship between God and man. And it is true, we are justified by the blood of Jesus. We are sanctified, we are saved through the blood of Jesus. And it is truly, truly wonderful. But we must never forget that we need more than just the blood of Jesus. We need this relationship that exists. And it is still available today. Even though we don't talk about it much, it's still out there. It's still attainable. And if a close relationship is to exist between God, there's a few things that must happen. Number one, we must understand God. We must understand Him, and we must feel comfortable in approaching Him. And when we think about that for a minute, when we think about understanding God and, and, and being comfortable around God, we need to understand that it's not quite as easily done as it is said. It's easy to say, we, yeah, we, I'm comfortable with God, I can approach God, but do we truly understand the, the magnitude of that statement? And I think that, that in understanding that, we have to understand that there is a huge, huge difference between man and God. That's the first thing I want to look at this morning, the differences that we see between God and man. First off, thinking of God, when we consider the attributes of God, we, we see these in, uh, revealed in the Bible. We see this revealed in nature. We see that He is one with unlimited power. He is one with unlimited wisdom and unlimited holiness. Now, a friend of mine once told me that we do a disservice when we say this, when we say God is all-powerful, He's all-knowing. He, we need to step back and think of it for a minute in another light, maybe. God does have unlimited power, but... Have we ever stopped to thought, God is power. God is wisdom. God is holiness. None of these things would exist without God. God is the creator of these things. In fact, as one of the next things that we see, He is the creator of all things. And not just the creator of it, but the sustainer of all things. He is one who is eternal. He has always been and will always be. He is immortal will not die, and He is invisible. Now, sometimes when we stop and think about these things, they're more than our human minds can, can comprehend. They're, they're written to us in a way that so we can, but the, it is so much more uh, magnificent than just the words that we have recorded for us. But sometimes I, I find this, this one last uh, point there, invisible. I find that to be something that, that I have struggled with. How can something be invisible? We can't really grasp onto that. We can think of the wind and, and see that we can't see the wind, but we know it's there, but we still have a hard time sometimes focusing on this. And that's why people begin to start saying things along the lines of, I've seen God, and he, he came to me in a peach tree. And he came and revealed this to me. And, you know, I can't help but think of an old movie I saw one time that depicted uh, God in the clouds, he, he, his, his upper torso in the cloud, looking down, passing judgment on people. And sometimes we tend to think, maybe we just look hard enough into the sky we will see God. But we need to understand the, the contrast between God and man. He is an eternal, immortal being that is invisible. But, as we will read in Jeremiah, He is everywhere. 
And if you're in Jeremiah chapter 23, look in verse 23. I, uh, am I God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? These passages that we just read, 23 and 24 of Jeremiah chapter 23, they tell us that God, He he fills the entire universe. There is no place we can go atop the highest mountain and God is there. To the bottom of the deepest cave, God is there. God is everywhere. He is a supreme being. And now let's contrast that with man. What is man? Well, first thing, man is mortal. He is mortal. Man will die one day. Man is finite despite his ego. He is finite in knowledge and understanding. I think we have all met Mr. Know-it-all. I think at some points and some instances we have all probably been Mr. Know-it-all. I know I have been. But despite our desires to know everything, we must understand man has a, a cap that has been placed on him to what he will know and what he will understand. Man, in contrast to God who created all things, man is not the creator but is the created. And he is sustained by God. If you want to flip over to Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> Acts chapter 17, this should look familiar to us if you were at the gospel meeting. Landon talked about this just last night. Next chapter 17, look in verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, since He gives to all life, breath, and all things. That's an important point that we will need to remember as we study this. That God, He sustains us. And he does not dwell in a place that, that we have created. We need to remember that point. But the first thing that I think we can see in this is that the differences between God and man, they lean a little bit slightly to one side. If we were to weigh them out uh, on, the, uh, on the scales, you picture maybe the scales of justice, and we were to put God on one side and man on the other, well, it would drop so far down, I would have to cut a hole in the floor to show you where man would be at compared to God. They are so overwhelming the differences between God and man. If you want to, turn your, book, uh, turn your Bibles back to the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, turn to Psalm 139. <clears throat> David reflected on the differences between God and man in Psalm 139. In verses 1 through 12, David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down. And my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. And laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be 
be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. We see here a glimpse of David as he expresses his reflections on God. But throughout the Bible, we see that whenever man came close to this overwhelmingly great God, there was a common reaction. It was a reaction that we see happen time and time again. Turn back to Exodus. In Exodus chapter 3, one of these reactions is recorded for us. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6, we see Moses as he approaches God in the burning bush. And in verse 6, we read, Moreover, he said, I am, God, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He was afraid. Exodus 20 reveals a very similar occurrence at Mount Sinai. Exodus 20 in verse, in verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear you. But let not God speak with us lest we die. They were afraid. Excuse me, I'm not keeping this up. They were afraid. We see that maybe this kind of idea of saying, you know, Moses, we'll talk to you. We will talk to you, but I, I, don't, even want, I don't even want to hear the voice of God, lest it would kill me. I would die just from simply hearing the utterances of his lips. I, you go talk to him. You go into the darkness, as it says, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. They said, You go speak to him and come back. We don't even want to hear his words. We will have to hear it from you. How can man ever hope to comprehend God? How can man ever hope to approach God in a close relationship with a fear so great that you can't even, even hear His words. You can't even be, see His face. You have, there has to be a barrier between us. In fact, Job does an excellent job in, in really realizing the problem here. In Job verse 9, or in Job chapter 9, excuse me, Job notices something that the Israelites had noticed. In Job chapter 9, verse 32, Job says, For he is not a man as I am. For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hands on us both. Job recognized the problem. The Israelites, they recognized the problem. They said, Moses, you go talk to God for us. Job said, I have no one to go between me and God. I don't have that mediator to go between us. But what was true in Job's day, that there was no mediator. Thank God that is not true today. That is no longer the fact. Jesus is the means by which man can comprehend God. Jesus is the means by which man can approach God and in, in such a way as to enjoy a loving relationship with Him. So let's spend a little bit more time this morning looking at how Jesus is the way to God. And the first thing that, that we notice is Jesus helps us to comprehend God. If you want to turn over to John chapter 1. In coming to earth, 
One of the first things that we see is Jesus helped us to, to comprehend God by declaring God to us or manifesting God. In John 1 verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. Uh, at any time. The only begotten Son who is... Excuse me. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Christ manifested God to us. And for one thing, He came to this earth from God. John 6 tells us that. If we want to turn over, John 6 verse 46. Where we read, Not that anyone has seen the Father, except He who is from God. He has seen the Father. But also, not only was He from God, one thing that we have to recognize, as John 1 tells us, He is God Himself. John 1, verses 1-2, through 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And we might be asking ourselves, well, who was that Word? How can we know that Word was Jesus? Look down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word who was with God, the Word who was God, that Word was Jesus. And therefore, it is in seeing Jesus that we are able to comprehend the Father. Another verse, turn over to John 14. John 14 and verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know Him and have seen Him. Jesus tells His disciples this, that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. And His disciples went on to tell others. The apostles told, told others that Jesus, of what Jesus had proclaimed. Look in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Again, another passage that just shows us what the the apostles were proclaiming. Uh, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophet has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It is Jesus that, that has revealed God to us in terms that a mortal, finite man can understand, can comprehend and can personally relate to. See, that's something that's important for us. If we are going to have a relationship, we have to be able to relate to, to who it is we're trying to enter this relationship with. So therefore, as we study the Gospels, as we study the good news of Jesus, we see Jesus and His attributes. We see Jesus and His power. We see Jesus as His wisdom. Jesus and His holiness. His love. His mercy. His divine wrath. There were times that Jesus got angry. We see in all these things, we see God. And we see His attributes. He declares, He manifests God to us. But Jesus also provides a way to God through helping us approach God. In the previous lessons, we've talked about how Jesus made Himself a propitiation 
for our sins. And we talked about how propitiations were normally done between man and God. But God looked down upon us and saw it was something we could not do for ourselves. And so Jesus made Himself that propitiation, that sacrifice for our sins. And in doing so, He made it possible for a sinful, sinful man to approach a supremely holy and just God. Jesus helps us also, though, to approach God in another way. He makes it possible as our high priest in heaven. Through Jesus, though Jesus was truly God, as as both John and Paul stated, He was God, but He became man. And Hebrews 4 tells us He fully understood what it was like for us to be man. He understood the difficulties we go through. Look in Hebrews 4 verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Do we understand what that passage is saying? That passage is saying that in no certain terms can we ever go before God and say, you don't understand how hard it was on that earth. You don't understand the struggles. You don't understand that I was tempted by this and it was hard, it was difficult. You don't understand that I tried to tell people about your word and they laughed at me. You don't understand that when, when certain temptations arose, I was just not strong enough to overcome them. We will never be able to go to God and say that because Jesus has went to God and says, I understand that it is hard for them. I understand that they are going to need help in getting through this life. And we can take great comfort from, the, from that fact that Jesus has lived this life, that He knows the struggles that we go through. But we also must understand that we will never be able to use that as an excuse, as a cop-out to be able to be excused from our actions. So yes, Jesus, through Jesus, we can both comprehend God and we can approach God. He has made it possible for us to have that close relationship with our Heavenly Father. He has made it possible for us to enjoy all the blessings that come through such a relationship. But we need to understand more the beauty of that relationship. We need to understand that relationship available through God, or with God, through Jesus, is described to us in certain terms in the New Testament. Terms that are used to describe this relationship, terms that are used to describe those who are in Jesus, are terms that are used to describe a relationship between a heavenly Father. First we see that we are, we are described in terms such as children of God. Turn over to Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6, looking in, or excuse me, in Galatians chapter 3 verse 26. Galatians 3 verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Sons of God. That, that word sons is not merely restricted to, to men, but is very much the same sense of, of when the word man is used in reference to mankind. You are sons of God. You are daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We are children of God. Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We have a relationship that is described as a family. 
We are sons of God. We are children of God. And being so, being a part of that family, that is another way that it is described, the house of God. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 says, But if I am delayed, this is Paul, if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. If we are sons of God, and God is our heavenly Father, that relationship that is being described there, we know is a family. We are the house of God. But that is not the only way we are described in relationship to God. There's another relationship that is, uh, is more stronger than just the Heavenly Father. There's a relationship that goes with that of a holy, supreme being. See, sometimes today we, t- we lean too much on this Heavenly Father. And we take the reverence away from it. Uh, maybe you've heard some denominations have started to lean away from, from calling Him Father and more of the idea of Pops, Dad. Hey, Pops, can I... You know, I've got some sort of need in my life. Think you can possibly help me out. I almost get the idea of someone asking their father, can I borrow the keys to the car tonight? Some sort of trivial matter. They take away the respect that is inherent in this relationship with a holy and supreme being. And in looking at this, we see terms that describe our relationship. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians, we see terms that describe it as a temple of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Do you remember what was said earlier in Acts? God does not dwell in temples made with hands. Sometimes we get focused on the external. Sometimes we begin to forget the, the temple that God dwells in. Not a temple made with hands, not a temple made with rock and stone and mortar and drywall. A temple made of flesh, a temple made of blood, a temple that is surrounded by a heart and a soul. We are the temple of God. God has chosen to take residence in us. And as being so, we must remember then that if we are the temple of God, we have a responsibility to that temple. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, where we will see that we are described as priests. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then skip on down to verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people that you may proclaim the praise of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. What was the works of the priests as regards to the temple? The priests would have been responsible for the upkeep of the temple. They would have been responsible for going in and making sacrifices in the temple. Today, that temple is not a building, but that temple, as we've discovered, is in us. We are that temple. And as being in that that temple, we have a responsibility to God and to that temple to keep the temple upkept. God makes His home in our hearts. We have a responsibility to keep a certain standard of living for our Lord. But also in that, we have a responsibility to make sacrifices 
just as the priest did. Not sacrifices of flesh and blood as was done before, but spiritual sacrifices. Sacrifices of our time. Sacrifices of our desires. Sacrifices of our entitlements. When we look to the world, are we making sacrifices uh, such as maybe the comfort that we might gain from just keeping our mouth shut instead of telling people about God? That's a sacrifice. To open your mouth and proclaim God, you take a risk. You stick your neck out. You, you, uh, you risk having doors slammed in your face. Phones hung up on you. Friends turning away from you. People laughing at you. Mocking you. Are you willing to make that sacrifice? Are you willing to be a priest? Are you willing to sacrifice your time to, to be here on, on, on Sundays and on Wednesdays? Are you willing to sacrifice your time to come to gospel meetings, to go to other gospel meetings, not just ours, there's those going on around the state? Are you willing to sacrifice your time for God? These are the, the terms that we are described in our relationship. The relationship that the world wants so often is based upon what I desire. This is my way that I will, that I will worship God, as we talked about in class this morning. And I couldn't help but think of Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, tells us that there are ways that, that are, are of ours that aren't the same ways of God. If we want to turn over there very quickly, Isaiah chapter 55. <clears throat> we'll look in, verse, in verses 8 through 9. says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It is so often that we want a relationship with God. We want a relationship with Jesus more often, but we need to desire this relationship with God, but we need to desire it on His terms. The terms that He has set forth for us, not the terms that we have set forth for Him. And other terms can be considered. There are so many other terms that, that show the relationship that we have between God. But, but for today's study, this should suffice to show that it is possible. The, the relationship is there. And even though we might once have been lost to sin, maybe even today we are lost to sin, we can enjoy a personal, possibly new, and intimate and fulfilling relationship with the majestic God in heaven. And what a wonderful relationship it is. It is a relationship that offers us many promises. Many, many promises that overwhelm you. Are so overwhelming. I want to give you an example of just one of these promises. One that should, should fill us with a desire. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise that God offers to those that have that relationship with Him. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I understand the struggles that you have in this life. There is a high priest speaking to him on our account. He says, I know what they're going through. And God says, well, then I will never leave you. If you will have this relationship with me on my terms, I will be there for you. Do we truly understand that? Those promises will not fall away. If you, if you will be here tonight, we're going to talk about the faith that we can have, that those promises will be fulfilled. <clears throat> Let us be clear, though, in our understanding. Jesus is the way to God. John 14, verse 6 tells us, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. But he went on to say, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only 
way to God. Galatians 3 goes on to tell us more about that. By taking uh, to heart the life and truth of God's word, we can have this relationship. Galatians 3 verse 26 says, For you are all sons of God, as we read, through faith in Christ Jesus. Now verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That is how we we join in to Christ. That is how we go on the way to God through Jesus. It says, it's through faith and through baptism. Those two go hand in hand. And then we have to remain children of God. 2 John, 2 John uh, verse 9 says, Whosoever transgresses, transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If we want to go to God, We have to follow Jesus, but we have to remain as children of God through faithfully abiding in His teachings. So my question this morning is, have you become a child of God? Have you become a child of God and received Christ through faith and baptism? If not, why? Why not? Why not today? Why not right now? What's stopping you? I can guarantee you it is not Christ. It is not God standing in your way. It is, it is simply the biggest thing between you and coming to God is yourself, is the devil. They will stand in your way. You will put your own feet in front of yourself and trip over yourself. And sometimes that's the hardest battle to fight. But know that it is worth the fight to come to God through Jesus because He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And if you have, if you have come to Christ, if you have been baptized, if you are a child of God, are you maintaining that relationship? Are you sticking with the doctrine of Christ and maintaining that relationship with both the Father and the Son? And if not, you have fallen away. But don't think that because you've fallen down, don't think that because you have have stumbled that you can't get back up, that you can't be continuing on in this way, that you can't be restored to the path that you were once on through repentance, through prayer. Christ is ready. He knows the struggles. He knows that we're going to fall and He's ready for us to turn back to Him. If we can help you in any certain way this morning, we will, but you have to let us know. Come forward and share with us your struggles. Come forward and tell us what has separated you from God. Come forward and express your desire to be united in the first place with God as a child of His. There is water behind us. We will baptize you. Only in doing so can you finally follow Jesus and let Him be your way to God. We stand ready to assist you in this matter. If only you would let us know how we can help you. If that be your desire this morning, I encourage you, please come forward now as we stand and sing.